where do you live? You live in a, an apartment or a house or a condo or something like that, right? You're already living in a residential unit, right? So you can simply turn to your kids and say, hey, you know, see where we live? You know, we own this and we're paying a mortgage and here's how it works. Or we here's don't what own a mortgage this. is because I graduated. I was a finance major and became a mortgage broker and I didn't know what a mortgage was. You gotta be kidding me. You kidding me? The Wharton Business School had to open up their, uh, you know, the top five business school in the world had to open up a personal finance club because none of them knew anything about personal finance. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So is, no, this, uh, is this known publicly? Yes, is it was on real? CNBC. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school? anything about how to manage money. I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest on today. Uh, I have Marco Santarelli. Um, he has been voted as one of the top investors out there, actually won the award for uh, Master Investor of the Year. He runs a firm, um, actually a founder of a firm of Narada Real Estate Investments, uh, which is on the Inc. 5000 with only a staff of 10 people, and they acquire profitable real estate investments nationwide. Uh, Marco got into real estate at 18, got licensed, sold real estate by the age of 23, and at two decades later in the space, Marco is now uh, focused on helping 1 million people create wealth and passive income and put them on the path to financial freedom with real estate. So I want to welcome you to Money Talkers. Cody, I'm honored to be on your show, and I'm excited to talk about everything money. <laughs> I am too, man. It gets me all pumped up. And so... Uh, I guess oh, I want to kind of jump in with you um, to get get the show going. Tell me what got you in at 18 and 23 years old? What got, how did you have the confidence to get into real estate at that age? At an early age, I somehow knew that uh, that I, I wanted to be financially free. I didn't know what to call it at the time. I probably referred to it as being rich. And I don't refer to that, it as being rich today because my concept of being rich and financially free or wealthy are two different things. But I just knew at a young age that I wanted to be rich. And I took it upon myself to really study money, find out what you know money was all about. Now, I was probably around nine or 10 years old at the time. But it wasn't until I turned 13 that I actually started to really put it upon myself to be an entrepreneur. And I learned how to code on a computer. I was starting to program a game. I ran out of memory because back then 4K of RAM <laughs> was a lot of memory. But, um, but you know, I, I had that entre entrepreneurial bug deep inside me. But I made it my mission to learn everything I could about business entrepreneurship and, and money. And so I started ordering books. Now, keep in mind, I didn't have a driver's license. I couldn't drive a car. And my parents had to basically take me to a bookstore or order something online for me. But I started to collect binders of educational material on real estate investing and business entrepreneurship. And I consumed that stuff as quickly and rapidly as I could. And I was excited about it. And so as time went on, I just knew that this was the path somehow, some way. I just didn't know what it was. And, and, and I became a serial entrepreneur. I had many failures in businesses, but I had some successes. In my teens, though, I got a job uh, at a grocery store when I was 16. That was a relatively well-paying job for what it was, and it allowed me to save a down payment. So when I turned 18, a qualifying age for mortgage financing, I was able to buy my first property with the monies I saved from my job. Um, and through that whole process over the years of, as being a teen, I made the most important investment you could possibly make, and that's this thing right up here, your brain. Uh, I was listening to people like Tony Robbins. In fact, I was 
I was probably one of the first people to order his personal power program on audio cassette tape, which I still have to this day uh, at home on my bookshelf. And it's got that journal. Um, I was listening to guys like Jim Rohn, who uh, today I'm actually good friends with uh, Jim Rohn's business partner, Kyle. Um, I was listening to Zig Ziglar and people in real estate. So I was training myself at a young age with nobody telling me to do this. <clears throat> now, I'm not, that doesn't make me special or unique. A lot of people uh, do this at some point in their life if they have the interest. I just decided early on that this is something I need to learn, and I did. And so that put me on the path to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. And in hindsight, I wish I had done it earlier, but you know, it's just, it's just powerful when you work on yourself and you build knowledge, you educate yourself. So, you know, I think that's an amazing point because um, part of my journey was I didn't get into, I guess, like understanding, you know, what wealth is, what financial freedom is. I got really into being uh, able to make money, you know? And so, uh, but I was, again, I was early, I was the same kind of thing. I was early, early, early into this, you know? And, and so I was in my twenties when I had a lot of time to take a risk. And so part of the thing with money talkers and the reason that I wanted to do this was that parents could take this kind of information and get it into their kids' hands at 12, 13, 14, six, seven, eight, you know? And these things and like the ability for them to go out with financial freedom and change the world because they don't, they can take the risks to solve the big problems was really one of the reasons that I wanted to do money talkers. And I wonder if you, you know, you've kind of attributed being able to consume this input and that's what generated the output. Because I, I have a real hard feeling inside of me that, that, that what you consume is what you're going to look and seek for. And I wonder on your thoughts about that. About which part, you know, the, the consumption of it? Yeah, what, how, how it changed your, your output, right? So how, how, by putting in the information, when you talk about Jim Rohn, you talk about Tony Robbins, and you talk yeah. about um, Zig Ziglar, because I had, you know, my dad had those same things, so those big plastic cases that you had to like pop open, and there was like four cassette <laughs> tapes like plugged into it, you know? And so I was listening to stuff too, and I didn't even know, you know? And so um, I'm just curious, like, what, you're, what you think that, yeah. that, the effect that that had for you. It's, it's really simple. It's a short answer. It's, and I'm sure you've heard this. Well, I know you, Cody, have heard it, but many people have heard the saying, the more you learn, the more you earn. Mm. There is absolute truth in that because, you know, I have these 10 rules of successful real estate investing. My number one rule is number one for this very specific reason. It's top of the list because it's all about investing in yourself, investing in your mind and your mindset and what you know. And the rule is educate yourself. You know, if you don't educate yourself, you're ultimately doomed to follow other people's advice. And you don't know if that advice is good or bad because you have no frame of reference to judge whether that advice is good or bad. So you need to educate yourself because if you're not an investor, it'll become, you'll become a good investor or a good business person. And if you're a good investor or a good business person and you continually educate yourself, guess what? You go from good to great. So you have to educate yourself. I think that's a great point. I tell people that all the time, like everyone is willing to give you advice. <laughs> Usually your successes come from which ones you listen to, right? <laughs> and so if someone is where you want to be, that's probably a place that you should probably pick to, to get your information out of. And, uh, you know, I think it's an amazing time right now where we have these educational pieces, right? When you talk about having to order these, you know, the cassette tapes, that's a lot of, I mean, you had to be in the right place at the right time, you know, take the initiative to do it today. It's at your fingertips. You know, I call it YouTube university. Um, there's no excuse today. That's it. I mean, there's so much information. You have answers to virtually every question on your personal smartphone. You could go to Google or a search engine and type in your question, but you can get an instant immediate response. You can find the answer to almost any question like right away. So it's lame. If you have a question, an unanswered question and you don't go and look for the answer. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> well, one of my favorite things is my wife and I'll be talking about something and we'll be, you know, going back and forth on the answer of it. I'm like, well, if there's only a way we could find this out real quick, you know, <laughs> we go back and Google and we're like, okay, that was it. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the ultimate uh, argument settler. <laughs> yeah. But, um, is <laughs> and so let's talk about this. So you kind of mentioned it. So that in, the, in the 10 rules for successful real estate investing, um, I'm a big believer in frameworks and that sounds kind of like a framework to me. And so can you kind of talk about how you use those, uh, to be successful in what you do with real estate investing? 
Well, the, the 10 rules kind of came up. I mean, you can go beyond 10. You can come up with 15, 20, 30 if you wanted to. But I just wanted to boil down kind of the core rules, if you will, to form a framework or a guide, as, you know, as, as what you're talking about for in investors, regardless of whether you're seasoned or not. And so, I mean, I, I, I can go through them if you want, uh, or we can just talk about some of them, but essentially it starts with the first one, which is educate yourself because obviously, you know, you need that knowledge and you know, the more you learn, the more you earn. But, um, well, let's, let's talk but about that one. So where, where would you, you know, because we're talking to a lot of parents, the audience, so they're going to be able to say, okay, like, Maybe they don't know much about real estate investing. This is one of the reasons with Money Talkers where I wanted to make this easy is that I want people to understand you don't need to be a financial guru to be able to teach your kids about personal finance or to plant the seed or get them into the bug of what you did where you know you started consuming this stuff, right? You want them consuming the, the latest Netflix show, right? You want them consuming real estate investment advice, right? And so where would you start if you were, where would your recommendation be to, to start if you're a parent and you want to introduce this to your kids so that they can start to learn? Uh, as early as possible. I mean, it really depends on their age, of course, because if, you know, if they're 10, they're, yeah. they're not going to have the attention span or maybe even the interest. Um, but as they start to realize the importance of money and that I need money to go out and, you know, spend it on clothes or go with my friends to a movie or whatever the case is, then they're going to start to realize, Oh, okay, I need this to do the things I want and buy the things I want. So now the question is, where do I get money from? Okay. Well, most people think, okay, I got to get a job, which is just over broke. And uh, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but that's where you start. That's how you cut your teeth. Um, but ultimately if you open their eyes, they'll see that it's not a world of just jobs. There are opportunities for you to write your own ticket, you know, give yourself a blank check and make that whatever you want. It's just like Jim Carrey. He wrote himself a $20 million check, stuck it in his wallet. And years later, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. He ultimately got a $20 million deal uh, for Masker. I can't remember what the movie was, but, you know, he, he, you know, he made it. He wrote his own ticket, but he set his own goals. But if you educate your kids on the possibilities of being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, finding a need and filling it, uh, being an investor, investing in real estate, investing in, in other types of assets that generate income and create capital gains, you know, that, to grow your net worth. Well, now they start to think about other options, not just what, you know, the mainstream media and the school system kind of puts people into a path. Uh, they put them in the lane of uh, go to school, get good grades, get, you know, get a, get a job and a good career. And, and, you know, hopefully that your, that's your ticket to a happy retirement. Well, for most people that doesn't work out that way. <laughs> most people, you know, over 50% of the U S population is, is by definition broke. You know, they can't even put $400 together in the case of an emergency. Um, so, uh, you know, the stats of less than 5% being financially free or wealthy, by a certain age is, is very true. And I think that is getting worse right now. Um, so you have to do this for your kids. You have to teach them the, the possibilities of what's available and, and maybe give them some exposure to it. Maybe they are great entrepreneurs and they don't even know it. Maybe they have it inside them, but you just need to lay it out in front of them so they can grab onto it. Here's a great, here's a great idea. Um, one of the best TV shows out there, in my opinion, and probably one of the best ways to educate your, your kids is put them in front of the TV and have them watch Shark Tank. My daughter, you know? my daughter is eight years old. She's got it all day long and she loves Shark Tank, you know, and it's such an opportunity to just talk about why certain people get deals or they don't get deals. You know, um, I think it's, I think it's a lot, it's, I think it's a great way to explain to them also about the value creation of businesses, which I think even most entrepreneurs need to learn that you're creating something of value when you're doing when you're when you're opening up a business is there there needs to be an end goal to it not just to create yourself a job you know and that yeah. those things create value just like real estate does and uh, I think in that in that in that show it gives a real great opportunity to explain why some people don't get jobs because their valuations are through the roof or you're you know irresponsible or they haven't you know they they don't understand that there's a, a part of where they say, Oh, well, we're pre-revenue. That's my favorite one. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the numbers. Well, we're pre-revenue. They're like, so you don't make any money. You know, and it's, right. <laughs> it's one of my great, that's one of my favorite parts of the show. But I, I agree. 
I think that having these those little talks, even these little uh, pieces that kids uh, don't get credit enough to what they can absorb and uh, and spark that interest. Right. You know. Agreed. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of potential there. You just have to uh, give them you know some inspiration and tools to allow them to dig a little deeper. Playing games is great too. I mean, you can play Monopoly or Cash Flow. You know, Cash Flow 101. I mean, that's a great way to expose them to financial literacy, right? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, the we were laughing because of the other day um, I was showing my son, and we were I was watching CNBC, and like the stock things were flying around, you know. And he was trying to read them. And he's six. I mean, he's like, it's like 123, like 145. I said, like, what is that? You know, I was explaining the stock market, you buy companies, all that stuff. And eventually, at the end of the conversation, he looks at me. He's like, I need to make some money because I need to own some companies. And I was like, you know, you just see this like wow. evolution in their in their little heads that that, this, that spark starts to happen. And I also yeah. wonder. Um, so being a serial entrepreneur, and I know that off before we kind of got on, you mentioned that you have a um, you have a young daughter. And um, do you? So I have kind of a two-part question. Like one, uh, do you see her have that entrepreneurial gene from you? And then two, uh, do you think you see it because you're an entrepreneur? I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably more likely to see it um, because you recognize the traits and the characteristics of what someone would need to be an entrepreneur, like you know, tenacity, persistence, a little bit of patience, uh, ambition, uh, some desire, uh, you know, you, you, you see those, those character traits that play well into falling. being an entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. All, yeah. yeah. All, all those things. Right. Um, but, uh, she definitely has uh, a lot of the characteristics that I have. I see that. Uh, she, but I don't know if the light bulb went off with her yet. She's, she's clearly, in love with performing arts she wants to be performing and she's extremely talented she's a great singer uh she always gets like first dibs at any play or part right but um but you know i i took that uh, actually as an opportunity to expose her to the world of business and entrepreneurship i said look you can be the performer on stage but think about the other people who are involved in this there are producers who are putting up the money to build the set and hire the, the orchestra and everybody else. So they're the ones who are putting up the capital to make this actually happen. So they're taking a risk and a belief in you and everybody else that this is gonna be a success. And guess what? If this play or whatever it is turns out to be great, you're gonna get paid, but they're gonna make you know a small fortune. And so you can be on that end, you could be a performer, or maybe you could be on both. You could be in it, and also co-produce a pr production. So I now you can be the business owner and entrepreneur. Man, I think that's fantastic. I love that because um, it's it's taking a piece of their passion instead of saying, hey, you know what? Uh, nobody makes money being a, an actor or dancer. Or, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> there's, every business has a business, right? And so I think that's a fantastic way to look at that is to start breaking that thing down and say, listen, you know, there's six facets in the business. And you go through them, you know, sales, marketing, operations, uh, customer service, uh, and both sides of finance, right? And it's like, all these pieces got to go together. And I think it's really fun to do that with your kids. Like, I know I do that sometimes with mine. And I just, uh, I, I think that that's an amazing approach that you took around that, that did. And then, you know, it, I think it opens up the, the talks, right? Which is kind of what I talked about earlier when we were talking about yeah. money talkers. Um, is that having those conversations when they're young, um, and no matter how big or small they are, even the big concept or down to the pennies, you know, type of deal, um, that's going to allow you to have the relationship when she's older and has big decisions, right? Because she knows, oh, it's okay to talk to dad about money as opposed right. to, I didn't have any conversations with him because it was taboo in my household. We don't talk about it. Right. And then at like 23, they're like, I want to move across the country and go live and take this job, but I don't know if I should. But now you want them to talk to you about it. Right. But you never really laid the groundwork. And I think that's an awesome thing. What do you, what are your thoughts about that? I, I think you should take every opportunity you can to talk, uh, to bring the concept uh, of money into the conversation. It doesn't have to be about money specifically. Um, 
but at the dinner table is probably the best place to have those conversations. You know, even if it's just you and your wife, you know, and they're just listening in to, uh, you know, the state of your finances or your, you know, your last real estate investment, or, you know, you're looking at some stocks to, to invest in, or maybe you're buying some gold and silver. Just the fact they're sitting there eating dinner and listening to this conversation, um, even if they're not part of the conversation, believe me, they're hearing, they're processing, you know, they're probably asking themselves, what's gold and silver and why would you even want that? What do you do, eat it, right? So, <laughs> you know, so, so you, you, can you, can, you can bring it into their life without them even knowing about it because they're just there in the room with you. Uh, those are the opportunities I think you need to take advantage of. And, I, and I, I'm guilty of that. I don't, I, I don't take advantage of that as much as I would like to. Um, but I'm going to because I'm conscious of it. So whenever I can bring it up, I will. Yeah, I think um, the comfortability around it has got a big psychological factor, right? And so if you tell your kids like, oh, you need to get a good job because, you know, you need to, you know, you got to make money and that's the thing. And like they constantly hear you like stressed, arguing, you know, or, you know, there's not enough or I think a lot of those emotions transfer silently. They do. Uh, they do. And, and it, they can sense if you're stressed. If you're stressed, um, then that's dangerous because then they might start to um, attach negative thoughts and ideas to money. Like money is not a good thing. Money is bad. Making money is 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 taboo or whatever it may be. I mean, you, you don't you want them to have you want them to realize that having money and making money is a good thing because it affords you the ability to. Uh, uh, you know, have some level of personal freedom and be able to help other people and, and give back and maybe go on a vacation that like your friends are doing, then, you know, maybe you're not going to Disneyland or whatever it may be. So the thing is, is you, you can be happy or miserable with or without money. So why not be happy with money and have options <laughs> to, to do, you know, other things than to, uh, you know, have it the other way around. So, um, it's important as parents, I think, to just put things in the right perspective and in the right light. So she knows what things, you know, my daughter knows what is expensive and what's not expensive. And she, she'll even comment, you know, that something is too expensive or unaffordable. Here's another thing that's a good thing to teach your kids is um, never ask, um, never, never say, I can't afford that. If you really want something, ask the question, how can I afford that? Find the way. Well, if you want this thing and it's like, you want this particular car and it's 500 bucks a month, well, get what, guess what? Save up, buy two rental properties and you'll more than pay for your monthly payment on that car, right? So you have two appreciating assets paying for your depreciating asset. So why not get two rental houses and pay for the damn car? Yeah. <laughs> I love me some rich dad, poor dad. So uh, you're, you're right in my wheelhouse on that because that's uh, yeah. I, I, the concept. And so... Um, you had mentioned earlier, and I heard you talking about 101, so that's, uh, <laughs> I know that's in there too. So um, you had mentioned earlier a, a concept that I want to I revisit. So you mentioned earlier that like you knew you wanted to be financial free, but as a kid, you only knew that to be rich, right? And then now your definition has changed. And so I was wondering if you could explain the definition that you use now for financially free versus rich or wealthy. Well, I differentiate rich and wealthy. To me, rich means that you have a lot of cash. You're sitting on a pile of cash, a big chunk of cash. You have a lot of cash in the checking account. It's, it's, it may be here, maybe there, but you have this finite amount of cash. And you can do whatever you choose to do with it. So um, the problem is, is if you have like a million dollars in the bank, you can say, well, I'm a millionaire and you know, I'm rich. I have a million bucks. Uh, and there's some truth to that. But what happens if you're if you spend the next 12 or 24 months blowing through that million dollars and now you have nothing to show for it, right? You, you, you spent it on this, this and that and the house and sure it's, a, it's you know, the house is, is an asset on your personal balance sheet, even though it's really more of a liability, but, uh, but you've blown through it. Now what? Now, how are you going to survive in year three? You need to go get a job. You need to find some source of income. So when you, you're talking about wealth, you're talking about something that is measured, can be measured in time. It, you can measure wealth in, for, in terms of time. In other words, how long can I survive uh, on, my, on my passive income because now I have the ability to live the rest of my life 
because I have passive income streams. So it's the difference between having a big chunk of cash versus having a stream of cash. Mm -hmm. So if I can take that million dollars and turn it into income producing assets, now I have monthly and annual cash flow that buys me time. And now I can live for as long as I want without having to worry about money. So if you're, you're wealthy, when you can survive by not going to work at all, you don't have to set an alarm clock in the morning and you know that you can pay your bills every month and every year. Uh, you can do that if you're a millionaire and you're rich. Uh, but if you, when you spend that money, you're done, right? It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. So that's the difference. And so I know that you talk a lot about escaping the rat race, right? And escaping to the financial uh, freedom side of it. Um, is that really where the concept comes from? Do you think is, is, is it generating uh, passive income? Well, that's a key. That's that, that is the key. Uh, the, the key to becoming financially free is to learn how to convert your earned income into passive and, and uh, portfolio income, because that that's your streams of cash. You're going to work. You have to put in time to create earned income. But if you create systems or businesses to generate that, you'll get there faster because now you take these chunks of cash that you get called a paycheck or, you know, sell, sale of an asset, whatever it may be, but you take these small and big chunks of cash, which is typically taxed at higher rates, but you take your earned income and whatever chunks of cash you can create and then convert it, put it over here, and turn it into income producing assets, investments that generate passive income, cash flow. If you can do that, if you do, if you do enough of that, guess what? You're going to find yourself, where you get to a point where you're financially independent, you, you got your nut covered. You can pay for all your bills and you don't have to worry about making ends meet next month. But if you do more than that, now you, be, you create actual financial freedom. You have more than enough that, than what you need for your annual living expenses. And now you can do, you know, you write your own ticket. You can do whatever you want. You have extra to invest more or to maybe splurge on something. Uh, so the idea is not to get the financial independence. The idea is to take all your savings and, and income and create as much income as you possibly can and turn that into more than you need so you have true financial freedom. And, and it's got to be predictable. So if you've got regular income coming in monthly, quarterly, annually on a predictable basis, that's financial freedom. Yeah, to me, I know that uh, the ultimate goal when I sat down and uh... – I laid out a 10 year plan to get retired by 39. I was 29. I was right after I was basically in the worst hole you could be in. And I said, I'm going to be retired at 39. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I knew that if I could get to the point where assets were buying assets, then I was right. going to be there. <laughs> how I was going to get there, I didn't know. <laughs> but I knew, you know, I took a 10 year plan and I backed it into five and I backed it into one. Then I backed it into a month. And then I said, okay, what do I got to do this month? What's, a, what's something that, what do I have to do, you know? And I kind of backed into it that way and uh, it became much more attainable that way, you know? Mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, um, you, you knew you wanted to do something. You just didn't know how, yeah. but that's okay. It's, 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 it's good to know that you have a vision or some over, overarching goal and then figure out how to get from A to B by mapping out the steps in between. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's what you did. And that's what a lot of people do. Right. Um, yeah. That's okay. For that's me, for me, it was like, it was easier to do. It was like, it's like a lot of people, you know, they asked me a lot of things. Like, I'm on a lot of like forums and people mention stuff to me. And like a lot of times I'm like, well, I, I'm like, well, what's your goal? I'm like, well, I want to have a million dollars. I'm like my first question in my mouth and it never has an answer by when. Right. right. <laughs> and then they go, Oh, uh, and I'm like in, in five years, I'm like, okay, you need to make $200,000 a year. I'll put it away. Now, why do you want a million dollars? Well, because then I'm rich, right? Right. Well, how long, right, what are you going to do then? I'll quit my job. Okay. How long is that million dollars going to last you? You know, same thing you were talking about. And what I, I love the concept that you're talking about, about buying time, because I think a lot of people go into entrepreneurship uh, thinking, that's how I'm going to make a bunch of money. And a lot of times we get into it without planning. And then once you start, if you get to that point and you are successful and you do have money coming in, I think a lot of people immediately turn around and like, wait, well, I want my time back. 
you know, because it starts to eat away those things without systems. And I think that, that, you know, what you're talking about is being strategic to take that additional capital and invest and start. I, I would rather have much less cash in my bank account, but assets sending me a, a much smaller check, but at least a check every month. And that thing's growing than to have that cash there and feel good about it. You know? Right. It's dangerous to have a chunk of cash sitting around anyway, because even if you believe the numbers that the government puts out with the uh, consumer price index or the rate of inflation being, you know, two, two and a half percent, well, you're on your million dollars, you're, you're, you're losing, uh, what is that? 2000? No, maybe it's more than that. 2,500. Yeah. yeah $2,500 a year. It just, you know, it, it, it eroded. Is that right? Did I do that math correctly? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. 10% is a hundred thousand, 25 grand. <laughs> yeah, you're losing 20, yeah i thought that sounded a little little on the light side but yeah <laughs> think about that you're losing 25 grand a year just because you've got it you know parked in a savings account uh, plus on that you're think, not, it's not coming back anyway so not only are you losing the twenty five thousand, if you had a million dollars and you invested it and you were making eight percent you've got you know you've got eighty thousand coming back in so you're not only just losing the 25 you're not making the 80 you know yeah, there's the opportunity cost yeah. what, what is it not doing for you uh, so, so it's, it's a double loss, really. You know, I think too, uh, when we talk about those things in the concepts, I think a lot of people might get a little bit disenfranchised because they're like, man, I don't, I don't have a million dollars, but I think what we need to talk about is that it, it starts with a thousand dollars, right? You have to make that first goal. So that's where I was talking about. Like if you want a million dollars, that's fine. That's a goal. Put it out there. Give yourself a deadline, work backwards and say, okay, now I got I want it in 10 years. So I got to put a hundred thousand dollars a year away in net worth or cash or whatever. You, then you go say, okay, I got to put $8,000 a month away. Can I do that? How do I do that? And I think that's where like, if you break it down to something realistic, it becomes a lot more, I guess, tangible to people. And I'm wondering if, if that's kind of one of the things like when you guys are working on your real estate investments and, um, and, and what, what are you looking for in the criteria to make sure that it kind of lights you up and you go, this is a deal? Well, <clears throat> that's a good question. And, uh, you know, that question we could certainly talk about at length if we <laughs> wanted to, but I'll give you kind of a high level answer. Um, you know, di different people have slightly different criteria. The unfortunate thing is a lot of people don't really know what they're looking for because they don't have a counselor or guidance, which, you know, just you know, just kind of sounds like a shameless plug, but that's what our investment counselors do is they hold you by the hand and pull out your goals from your head, map it out into a plan and then break down that and, you know, help you break it down into a criteria of what to look for and where so you can achieve those financial goals. Now, this is something that, you know, it's just a system that I created a long time ago and we just implement time and time and time again. It's just like McDonald's. You can go to any McDonald's and they've got a successful formula because they, they're following a system. You can do this on your own. Uh, but more specifically to your question, this is typically what we look for at a high level. We always want to be in markets that have strong fundamentals that, that make sense. And those come down to two basic things, but critically important things. One is uh, population growth, because that is the demand that supports the real estate market. So when you have more demand than supply, you not only protect property values, uh, they'll actually appreciate, but you also have a pool of buyers and a pool of renters for the properties in that market. So population growth, or at least sustainability is important. Can I ask you a question about that? So does, do you think, just from uh, thinking in that terms, does population growth, the scoreboards that the inputs are good? And the reason I've asked that question is because if you see population growth, then more than likely you've got probably good job opportunities. You've got, you know, um, you've got good ingredients, I guess. So you're not having to look at 30 ingredients. You can say, okay, I see population growth and it's strong and it's been consistently strong. Something good's going on there, right? Is that kind of a barometer test, I guess? Yeah, there could be different drivers that, that lead to population growth. Uh, and you hit the nail on the head. Actually, job growth is one of the main reasons and drivers for population growth. So you've got organic growth, which is just <clears throat> the, the existing population having kids yeah. um, and, you know, uh, births exceeding deaths. 
but then you also have uh, in migration, which are people moving from other markets. And you know, we see this happening, with, for example, from California. A lot of people are moving out of California and they're going to places like Nevada and Arizona because it, it, the cost of living is lower, uh, real estate's lower, it's more affordable, and they can make about the same or maybe a little less, but they, their money goes further. So they're gaining population, we're losing population. And that's not good for, for the housing market because at some point you're gonna, you know, lose on the demand side of the equation. And, and if, if, uh, if supply is there, prices go down. If supply is tight, like it is right now, you know, you see sustained prices. So population growth, which is heavily driven by jobs and job growth um, are key factors. But, you know, that's, that's at the market. There, there are different reasons, but you look at the markets. Um, we like we like markets in the Midwest, the Southeast, the Northeast. We don't like the coastal markets because they're unaffordable, overpriced. Often they're bubble market, very cyclical. We like the interior markets because they're more linear in nature as term in terms of price uh, fluctuations. <clears throat> so those are some of the factors that that we look at. Now I track 504 markets uh, on on a regular basis, so I know what's going on in terms of uh, price changes, population growth. Um, uh, unemployment, all kinds of, of, of factors. And no, we're not in all those markets. We're in 25, which is more than enough, like a lot. Um, but we pick those markets because there's a good story to those markets and there are drivers that are providing stability and, and long-term growth potential. So that's at the high level, market level. And this is what we, I call the funnel approach. It's a, it's a top-down approach. So you start with the market <clears throat> and a lot of investors do this backwards, by the way, which is a mistake. Start at the top level, focus on the market. Then you could start looking at some market. If it, some markets, if it's a very big market, like you know the Atlanta metropolitan area is an example of a very large market, seven million people, all kinds of cities attached to cities. And then you start looking. You ultimately get to a point where you've chosen a city and a city or submarket, and now you start looking at neighborhoods. And this goes back to you as an investor and what criteria is important to you. So your tenant is a customer. Who do you want to serve? Do you want to serve lower income people? Do you want to serve, you know, um, higher income professionals, you know, like, uh, you know, your professional white collar type of clientele? Do you want to be somewhere in the middle, you know, blue collar and upper blue collar professional type of tenants? Uh, so, you know, th that would be the equivalent of your C class areas, your A class neighborhoods and your B class neighborhoods. So where do you want to be in that spectrum? We have some of all of that. But most of you know, what our clients purchase through us, because it's kind of the biggest bang for the buck, is in your B, B plus and A minus type neighborhoods. So you have good growth potential, a good demographic, um, you know, low crime, decent to good schools, um, uh, good cash flow, but you're not dealing with you know, high income people where you have low rates of return or dealing with low income demographics where you have more transient type people that are a little more flaky, probably late on payment. They, they move more often. Uh, their, your turnover at the property is a little more expensive because sometimes they actually leave with, you know, a wake in their path in terms of damage and whatnot. So you've got to decide where you want to be. So market, submarket, neighborhoods, and then the property itself. And uh, the property, obviously, you want it to be in like new condition or good condition or maybe new construction. A lot of investors start with the property uh, and then they make a mistake because they chose a property that may be newly renovated, but it happens to be on a bad street in a bad neighborhood in the middle of a war zone. And, you know, there's a lot of crime and I've done this myself more than once. So I know what that's like. Um, you know, you learn from your mistakes, but, uh, but that's the top down approach. So with your company, are you mentioned that they buy, they purchase through you. Explain how, how you serve the market. So we, our company is there to help, hold you by the hand and help you invest and build a portfolio in real estate successfully without having to go anywhere else. So we will not, if you go to our website, it actually says we provide the knowledge, resources, and properties you need to be financially free or something to that effect. So the knowledge is we freely educate you. We have tons and tons and tons of content, market spotlights, downloadable guides, blog posts, all kinds of stuff um, on our two websites. The resources are a huge, vast well, network. While, while we're there right now, I want to make sure we talk about where, where, what specific website can people go to find out more about this? Our, our main website, thanks for asking, by the way. 
our, our main website is noradarealestate.com. So N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. It's pretty easy to find because we have huge presence on, on the internet just because I've been marketing the snot out of uh, turnkey real estate investing since uh, 2004. <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's the main site. The sister website is actually the home of our podcast called Passive Real Estate Investing. And the domain name is exactly the same, passiverealestateinvesting.com. So there's tons of information on both of the web, those websites, and I believe they link to each other. So you can go from one to the other. Yeah, no, that's, um, and so what level investor do you guys serve? Are you looking, do you have people who come in as, as newbies? Do you have institutional people? Like what, what do you think your sweet spot is? Uh, not institutional investors because they you know, anybody on wall street is, is, has got a different model and you know, their needs are different than, you know, someone like me, you or your listeners. Uh, but the spectrum is pretty wide. So we have newbies, first property, they just save their first 20, $25,000 as a down payment to their first property and they're on their way. And we literally have people who call us up saying, you know, I've got $700,000 or 1.8 million that I need to deploy and invest. And, you know, they're a much larger portfolio and they're going to do it a lot faster because they've got the investable capital. And it doesn't matter who you are. The process and the systems are the same. Your investment goals and criteria and maybe the markets that we recommend for you might be different. But, um, but at the end of the day, that process is, is really the same thing. You're going to get the same tools, same access to the same properties, the same team, the same property managers, the same lenders, the same title companies, the same asset protection attorneys, the same tax advisors. We're giving you all those resources, access to our network of vetted people. Um, our counseling is at no cost. Like we provide pretty much everything at no cost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to bring that up because it's a big point, right? And it was kind of what I alluded to earlier about parents having um, hesitation to talk to their kids about money. I find a lot of times it's because like, well, I don't, I'm not a financial guru. So how, why would I teach my kid about money? And literally just have to be like one step ahead. And so I also think a lot of people think like, oh, well, if I'm going to be a real estate investor, like I, I don't know enough about real estate, right? But there are people like you out there that are holding hands and you know, if you sell a house and you've got, you know, $30,000, from the equity, which a lot of places do right now because of the price appreciation and those kinds of things. Like you, you now have an ability to change the trajectory of your life with that amount of money, right? You don't need to be a, you know, we're talking about having a million dollars in cash in the bank. You can do it with 30 grand because you have to do the first deal. Right. And that's how it starts to snowball in my mind. You know, so you, you, you've got to get that, you got to get over the hump with that first investment. And it then starts to build. Well, I have two comments. W one is a comment on your comment uh, about kids. Uh, the second is, is an aha moment for a lot of your listeners, and it'll blow some people's minds. The first is, is a comment. You know, we go back to the kids, you know, being at home and talking about money and, and edu educating them. Um, think about this. I mean, where do you live? You live in a, an apartment or a house or a condo or something like that, right? You're already living in a residential unit, right? So you can simply turn to your kids and say, hey, you know, see where we live? You know, we own this and we're paying a mortgage and here's how it works. Or we here's don't what own mortgage this. is because I graduated. I was a finance major and became a mortgage broker and I didn't know what a mortgage was. You got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me? The Wharton Business School had to open up their, uh, you know, the top five business school in the world. Had to open up a personal finance club because none of them knew anything about personal finance. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So is, no, this, it, is this known publicly? Yes, is it was on real? CNBC. I have the article from CNBC. But like, I, so that's I, why I, I say, like, that. if you if you have the opportunity to just say to your kid, hey, this is what a mortgage is. It's a loan so that you can buy real estate because you don't have to have all the money to buy this place at one time. That you're already, if you know what a mortgage is. You can pass that into your kid. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, you don't have to be high level, super, you know, I'm glad you brought that point up. So I, I wanted to hear, but I do want to hear your comment though. And, and, and here's, here's, a, here's another piece of misinformation. Not, this is not directed at you, but just to show you the level of misunderstanding out there. Most people think a mortgage is actually the loan on their property and it's not. The mortgage is the security instrument that rides on top of the promissory note, which is the loan itself. So you actually have two documents and people refer to the mortgage as the loan and it's not. It's your lien. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, you can, the, the point I was trying to make is you can talk to your kids because you actually live somewhere and yeah. you can talk to them about that scenario. Well, we pay rent here and we don't own it, but you know, we're basically buying a service for this space. Uh, or we are buying this a little at a time because we have a loan on it. And we're repaying it a little bit every month. You know, you can get into that conversation pretty easily. Oh yeah. I think it's an, it, it's a, that's the part where I want people to realize like those conversations are not happening. You know, they're right. not being taught in school. They're not being taught in Wharton business school. There's another one that's being taught in school really where like you start to understand like this is actual real world. It sinks in, you know? And so, um, but I also, I wanted to hear your second part about this, about when, when to start or how, you know, the size of the investor to get that first deal going or to, to put their, you know, put their toe in the water. Well, what, the, what I, what I want to say ties in with the, the answer to your question. So a lot of people, especially people who are in, in more expensive markets, whether it's Seattle, Washington, DC, or any of the coastal markets along the United States borders, uh, uh, coastlines, um, are in very expensive markets. And for them, you know, a seven, $800,000 million dollar property in, you know, their hometown is for the most part unattainable because they're thinking, well, crap, you know, if, if we're talking about a 20% down payment, it's like $200,000, you know, or a hundred and some thousand dollars. Um, you know, if you don't have a high paying job, it's going to take you a long time to save that up. Uh, now, if you're fortunate enough to be in the Midwest or Southeast and, you know, properties are 100, 150,000, maybe 200,000, okay, it's not as bad. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that they're in expensive markets and it, it, it's going to take a while to save up a down payment. And that may not actually be the best use of funds. You may be better off renting in your hometown, especially if you're in an expensive market like I'm in here. It's cheaper to actually rent. Take, take that down payment money, go out. And whether you use us or someone or do it on your own or someone else, um, get yourself one or two or three or four or five completely turnkey rental properties that are now paying you every single month. And guess what? The, the passive income from those two, three, four, five properties can pay a large part, if not all of your rent in where you live. So now you're living essentially rent free and you've got four or five assets appreciating and providing you tax benefits. And now you're living, not only living free, but you're creating wealth at the same time, which segues to my, my mind bending aha moment for probably a lot of your listeners. And I'm actually hoping that I blow some people's minds with this because it's something that they, most people don't think about. So this is, this applies to a lot of people, but especially people in the expensive markets, regardless of what market you're in, being Denver, Colorado, or coastal market, there are people who, whether it's your principal residence where you live, or if you have more than one property, are sitting on a bunch of equity in those properties, especially if it's more than 20 or 25% equity in, in any one or more properties, you are getting to a point where I call you equity rich and cash flow poor. So what you could do is, especially if you have enough equity in one or more properties, you can refinance. This is one strategy, but there's more than one strategy. You can refinance and pull some of that dormant equity out of that property. You can call it debt equity, but it's not generating a rate of return for you. So not, why not put it to use and generate passive income? So if you pull some of that equity out, this is a tax-free event. You could pull it out tax-free, use that capital to invest in one or two or three or five turnkey rental properties, generate passive income. Now, all you've done, you haven't spent the dime. You've just taken some equity from over here, moved it into two or more properties over there. These properties are now building equity for you, increasing your net worth, generating passive income, providing you tax benefits. And all you've done is you've just repositioned and repurposed some of that dormant equity you have in your home or wherever it may be. The people who live in the coastal markets are especially um, prone to be in this situation. And when we tell them and we say, hey, you can take $100,000 out by refinancing your principal residence and probably getting a lower interest rate at the same time, but take $100,000 of equity out and purchasing three or four $100,000 or $120,000 rental properties in, let's say, Kansas City, Indianapolis, Memphis, Tennessee, one of the markets we operate in, now all of a sudden they've got three, four, maybe five turnkey rental properties generating passive income, and you haven't really done anything other than just pull some of that debt equity out of your property. Which was generating you zero. Which was doing nothing for you. Yeah. It's actually worse than that. 
if you're in an expensive market, the downside risk of, you know, the next real estate cycle, because, you know, property values go up and they kind of pull back for a while and then they go up again and then they pull back. So it's, it's kind of like a, a bit of a roller coaster. Well, guess what? Before, before the market turns back and that equity starts to shrink in your property, why not take it out now while you can <clears throat> before property values start to go down for, you know, two or four years, move it before that happens because it's not going to change your mortgage payment but you're going to lose the equity you're losing it on paper but but you can put it to use today yeah it's real it's real money if you put it to work it's it's nothing really it's an idea it's, if it's if it's sitting in there it's real money if you actually pull it out yeah. if you if you realize that that refinance and turn it into cash and again like you said it's putting it to work you know it's the one thing we talked about earlier about just having it sitting in the bank that really doesn't do you what you need to do it needs to be going out and, and working for you so when you're sleeping, that thing's over there putting in some money in your pocket, right? And that thing's yep. coming in. Well, listen, Marco, that was awesome, man. I think that's a great uh, point to end on. And uh, I'm going to put some links into uh, Narada uh, Real Estate Investments at the uh, in the show notes. And then um, I, I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's any one last thing you want to say, um, if not, we're going to hop on and we're going to do the, uh, the high impact series. And I just want to thank you again for coming on Money Talkers with me, man. This has been fun. Yeah, no, this has been great. I really appreciate it, Cody. Uh, you know, I would just wrap up by saying, don't forget to educate yourself. The more you learn, the more you earn. But don't just sit on that knowledge. Put it to work. So take action and actually do something. And if you really want to get a quick primer on uh, real estate investing and how to do it, just a very condensed but high-quality primer, uh, I, I wrote a document called, like I did this 10 years ago, it's called The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. It's about 40 pages. And it's a free download on our website. Uh, you'll know more than probably 80% of your friends if you read those 40 pages. Listen, that's it. You got to do the two words you just mentioned, man. Let's take action. Knowledge yeah. is not power. All right. right. Knowledge is, is, a, is a preparation, but if you don't put it to work, then it doesn't matter. So uh, you got to do both at the same time. And so, yeah. man, I, I, again, I want to thank you again for coming on Money Talkers. I appreciate it. Thank you, Cody. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.